Good morning. Thank you guys, all or girls, all for waking up this morning and uh, and being here. And I've been praying for this day all through. Uh, <clears throat> this has actually been one of the targets, even all the way back since August when I got cancer. I was like, God, help me recover in time to be able to teach this message. So uh, it's an answer to prayer. And um, I know that every year when I teach this, I get more out of it. Than, than I think anybody could. So that's that's my prayer again. So we're going to spend some time looking at one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Proverbs 4, 23. It's the, the verse that we got the name Wellspring from. Um, it is the classic verse when I think of what does it mean to shepherd my, my heart, to guard my heart. Um, and... While we, this passage does focus on discipline one, right? It's, it's guard your heart with all diligence. Uh, we're going to sp- spend some time looking at the connection between heart guarding and the home. That, that this is certainly a, a lesson that focus on, focuses on discipline one, but you're going to see significant connections to, to D2. D3, and we're, I'm going to spend some time drawing that out into the lesson. So instead of an introduction to the disciplines up front. We're going to hit those later on. Um, but but let's, let's just review so you remember. I know that you've spent the whole year looking at this. Discipline one is the heart. Uh, the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully towards God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And that's what the heart of this whole message is, is, is that you're going to, we're going to focus on on what it means to actually guard your heart or shepherd your heart. And we're going to see the connection between that and the home. Discipline two, the faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. And discipline three is that with the heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church in every part of her life to shepherd others towards God and the gospel. And you, you can't do that. Nobody can do that unless you're doing that to your own heart. You're gonna, it, it's going to be impossible to help somebody else see God, know God, shepherd their own heart to God through, through God's word if you're not doing that yourself. So let's open your Bibles to Proverbs 4.23. And before we do that, let's pray. God, I, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us, and as I speak and seek to expose the truth of your word, I beg that you would guard and guide my words. And even more than that, I, I beg that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and cause us to worship you. God, I pray that you would grant us understanding by your Spirit, and that we wouldn't merely understand with our head, but God, grant our my heart and the heart of my hearers a submissive posture before your word. These are your words contained in Scripture, and, and I pray that with the same power as you spoke when you brought everything into existence, God, your words are more powerful than we can comprehend. I beg that my words would be faithful to your words and your words would transform us 
sanctify us, perhaps even save some. And God, use your use this message this morning to make me more diligent to guard my heart and these women to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at Proverbs 4.23 in your Bibles. It's a simple and profound passage that teaches a profound and simple truth. And armed with this, we're going to be better better equipped to for the battle for our own hearts. You're going to be better equipped to pursue God and better equipped to fight sin, I hope. You're going to be better equipped to shepherd your heart and ultimately your homes and in any ministry that God has for you in this church. So Proverbs 4.23 simply says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. There's four. There's three parts to this verse. There's a, a what, a how, and a why, and that's the outline. Look at your Bible and identify those parts with me. The first is, is a what. There's a, a command that Solomon, the wise father, has for his, his son. What, what is the what? It's the command. It's guard your heart. Or you could look at various English versions. It's keep your heart, watch over your heart, guard your heart. It all, all means the same thing or is aiming at the same thing. It's the, the command of this passage. And it's guard your heart. And how, how is the son to do that? Above all else, or other versions say, with all vigilance, with all diligence. And why? Why is the son to guard his heart? Well, because it's the, it's the source of life. Or from it flow the springs of life, ESV, NAS, or it is the source of life. Or as NIV puts it, it is the wellspring of life. And we're going to go through each one of those. That's the outline of, there's a what, a how, and a why. Really, Proverbs 4.23 is really easy to understand, right? What, how, why, you probably have the verse memorized already. Uh, if you don't, I hope you do by the end of the, end of the message. I do recommend you commit this to memory and think through each part of the verse as you rehearse it. The, the what, the how, and the why. We're going to start by first looking at the why. We're going to go, go backwards through this. Um, there's a why of Solomon's command. And, and the why is because the heart is the well or the source from which all other behaviors spring. So have you ever sinned? Of course you have. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Almost like, well, that didn't come from me. That seemed like some foreign something. That seemed foreign to me. That, that sin, that wasn't from me, right? That was an aberration from who I am. Maybe exploding at your roommates or short temper with your husband. Anger at your children. Entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies. Laziness, lying, gossip. Sharp speech. Where did that come from? You know the answer, and this verse says it. Everything that comes out of you comes from the wellspring of you, the source of you. It's, 
that sin, indeed everything you do, whether good or bad, every action, thought, deed, or word, you can think of it like water. And it's flowing from the wellspring of your heart. Proverbs 4.23, it's going to help us get at the root of these sins and prepare us for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem. And it's going to guide us towards walking in purity of life. So the inspired Solomon, he gives a profound illustration for your life. Right? Think of everything you do, everything you think, everything you say as water flowing, flowing from a common source, and that's your heart. So think of it this way. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or put it another way, there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. There's no part of your life that your heart doesn't affect. Or the character of your life reveals what's in your heart. The character of your life reveals what's in your heart. The image here is of a city's vital water source, right? Pure water at the source provides everyone in the city with pure water. Or contaminated water, what does that do to the livelihood of everyone in that city? If the source is contaminated, there's no hope of pure water for anyone in that city. This is a problem. Because the Bible describes our natural hearts, our, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. Consider Jeremiah 17, 9, that says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or Genesis 6, 5, says that God saw the wickedness in man's heart, and he was actually moved to kill everybody but Noah and his family. Open your Bible to Genesis 6-5 and look at God's assessment of the human heart with me. Genesis 6-5. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. That is, that is the natural condition of the human heart. And the flood didn't fix the problem. Right? That description of man's heart as only evil continually is just as true of natural man. Just as true of natural woman as it was then. And if there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring, and if this wellspring is naturally deceitful, desperately sick, only evil continually, based on Proverbs 4.23, what do you expect to come from a woman with this evil life source? If a poisoned well can only produce poisoned water, a wicked, unrighteous heart produces wicked, unrighteous actions. And always consistent with itself and the truth, this is exactly what God's assessment of mankind's heart is in his word. 
Or you can think of it like math. Genesis 6, 5 plus Proverbs 4, 23 equals Romans 3, 10 through 12. Romans 3, 10 through 12, quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3, says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. This is because no one naturally has a good heart, and no one, no, not one, can naturally do good before God then. Right? We're a bunch of wicked people. All of humanity, God looking down at us unsaved, we're a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts or had wicked hearts. Right? This is the description of unregenerate man and woman living in the unmixed sinful condition. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says to Ezekiel in 36 in Ezekiel 36:26. Turn there now. Ezekiel 36:26. And just rejoice with me how God gets to the heart of the problem and fixes the problem from the heart. He says, I will give you, Israel, a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God promised Israel that he will someday give them a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning, right? And that hasn't yet happened for all of Israel, but it, it is exactly what God does for us when he saves us. And what vivid imagery it is. I, it's really helpful for me because I have a, a sweet job. I get to do anesthesia, and it's cardiac anesthesia. And so often I actually get to watch hearts. I, I put cameras down people's throats, ultrasound cameras, and watch the heart beat. And uh, it's sobering because I get to see what happens to a body when the heart goes bad. Sometimes you, you put that camera down, you see a heart that's barely moving. And you say, that's why this person is broken. That's why their kidneys don't work. That's why their brain's not functioning. It, their heart is literally like stone. The b natural heart is supposed to have be supple. When blood comes in, it stretches. You give it more, more preload, more blood, and it stretches even more, and it pumps more vigorously. Right? That's, what, that's what happens to the healthy heart. But when your heart goes into heart failure, when you have a heart attack or some, any kind of cardiomyopathy, it, it becomes sometimes rigid like stone. It doesn't stretch to accommodate that blood and it can't pump the blood out. And when, when the heart's like that, the rest of the body literally fails. There's not enough, the, the, the body which receives what comes out of the heart 
is is dead and the ultimately the the only solution for that that person is a heart transplant it's some some women um they get this cardiomyopathy when they're pregnant or from a virus it's young women are especially prone to this and it's crazy you have this this mom who was just a couple of years ago healthy their heart's broken and they just look like death and you get them and you get a new heart a heart transplant put in, into that person and, and now all of a sudden their kidneys that were on the verge of shutdown or maybe even on dialysis come back their brain which wasn't functioning comes back and, and is renewed vigorously their, their muscles they, they couldn't walk across the room and in one of these cases the mom's running half marathon after the after the heart transplant and you're like this is what god did for us but even all that much more right our, our hearts were like stone they were dead the only solution you couldn't say just work harder try harder do better to our old dead hearts right you, you god had to do what only god could do and take out our old dead heart of stone and put in a new soft heart of flesh And for the person with a heart transplant, dying organs are rejuvenated by new blood flows. Slow mind quickens, and a body that looked like death is filled with new life. And Christian, you had an old dead heart of stone, and God gave you a new one. This is what God did for you when he saved you. He took out your old dead heart and replaced it with a new one. You were born again, John 3, 3. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God has given you a new heart. At regeneration, God declared us righteous and changed us from the heart so that we, for the first time, would have the ability to obey God and love God. Without a heart transplant, that command, obey God, love God, you can't do it. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you won't even want to try. But you can't do it without a new heart. And now for the first time, you're actually able to obey from the heart. We still live in a mixed condition. We still have our sinful flesh. We're able to sin, but we have new hearts. And for the first time, you are able not to sin. You're able to please God. You're able to shepherd your heart from sin to God. So now with this new heart, having been declared righteous in justification and having been set on a trajectory to increasingly live out that righteousness through sanctification, you can actually follow the command to guard your heart. We used to be slaves to sin. Why? Why were you a slave to sin? Because your heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. Turn, your, turn in your Bibles to Romans 6.17. And this tells us what God has done. And Paul starts appropriately. He, he can't even think about this new reality without starting with saying, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves to sin, became obedient or have become obedient from the heart 
to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. John Flavel, he's one of my favorite authors, he's a 17th century Puritan, he said it well, the heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it's his best part after. Praise and thank God for that. Seriously, don't just grow comfortable with this reality, but stop, close your eyes, and thank God for that right now. If you are a Christian, thank God for his regenerating work in your heart. For many, this might seem like old news, a theological truth with which you are familiar. And familiarity can sometimes rob us of the opportunity for worship. We oftentimes aren't as thankful as we should be for things with which we are familiar. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And before this glorious truth of the gospel, fight today and every day that as you sit under the blazing hot magnificent truths of God's word, your heart would be soft wax melting before its radiance instead of clay that's hardened by familiarity. Every day as you read God's word, it's okay if you see the same thing as you saw yesterday. It's okay if you say, every day when I go before God's word, and I, I encourage you to do the same, say, what does this passage reveal about God? What does this passage reveal when God comes in contact with humanity? And many times what you will see is you'll see God is gracious. God is patient. God changes hearts. God changed my heart. And if that's the same truth as you saw yesterday, that's okay. Be content. Don't be content. Be excited to shepherd your own heart to say, thank you, God. Don't ever grow tired of these gospel realities that God changed you from the heart. God forgave your sins. God changed you from the heart and set you on, on a trajectory to be converted into his to be changed into his image. Let's just say thank you and worship him for that. Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. And that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news. That the gospel, it, that or this great news of the gospel, that when God saves us, he changes us from our very heart. The change in us that the gospel brings, it, it isn't superficial then, right? It's not merely behavior modification. That if you are a Christian, your behavior has changed because the very core of who you are has changed. You've been changed from the very wellspring of who you are from your heart. So let everything else that you learn today, everything you resolve to do, sit under the shadow of that massive truth of the gospel. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter wisely advised his church. He said, till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good 
while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace, that's a hypocrite's religion. And that's what so many religions are, right? They, they say, do better, be better, try harder. But praise God, he has no interest in religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Thanks be to God that you who are once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. And if you're not a Christian, repent of your sins and trust in God to forgive you and change you from the heart. Right? You, you know, with, apart from that, nothing that you do can accomplish this because from the heart you are sinful. If you wonder why you can't change yourself, this is why you, you can't change yourself. You of yourself are, are sinful from the heart. But God, God is eager to give you a heart transplant. So if you if you sense that, that this is all foreign to you, that all of your efforts at pleasing God, they're fruitless, and you just sense a lack of affection for God, if you sense that maybe you coming to church, that this is a... An, you sense that you've been trying to self-justify. You sense that you've been trying to um, just make yourself better. I need some religion in my life. If you sense that that this is not because you or that this is all for not because you haven't been changed from the heart, this could be the morning where you say, "God, change me from the heart," and everything else that you do from that moment forward, will be done from a, a changed heart. And God will continue to sanctify you and change you more and more into his image. But a, apart from you having that initial work of regeneration, nothing else that you do is even, or you can't possibly please God without that new heart. So, so repent now if you haven't. And if you have, remember that great work of heart transplant that God did at the beginning when he set you free from sin and forgave you. So Christian, your heart is precious, not only because it's the source from which all of your life flows, but because it was made new through the gospel. You're a slave, you were a slave to sin because your heart was sinful, but now you're actually a slave to righteousness. Imagine a city with a poisoned well that city wouldn't flourish. It couldn't flourish because every, all the water that the people in that city would drink would, would be filled with poison. So the city would be full of death. And then imagine one day the king provided clean water, dug a new wellspring. The old well was full of poison and the new one for the first time had fresh water. Immediately that city was made new, full of life. Those who were once weak, anemic, dying from the poison had a taste of that which they never knew, pure water. Those people would know more than anybody else the importance of a pure wellspring. Those people would know the effects of a tainted well. They would know the joys of purity. And those people would never think, I wonder how much poison I could let back into this new well. I wonder how much poison we could put in this water 
and still be okay. Right? They would not think that way. Instead, they would guard that well with all diligence. They would say, we, we must not let this well look at all like the old one. We know what poison does. We know what poison does to us when it, when it gets in our water. And they would guard that well with all vigilance because they know that their very lives depended on it. Christian, we are those people. Our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness. And at salvation, for the first time, you could glorify God and not sin from the heart. So imagine if God, if you never were sinful, you wouldn't know the joys of a fresh wellspring like you do now. So when you think back on your old heart, let that motivate you to guard this new heart with more vigilance, more diligence than ever before. In light of this illustration, consider this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And as I read, look for the wellspring disciplines. Grace Bible Church didn't make up this discipline one, two, and three stuff. It's all over scripture. The church has known it for generations. Look for, for Spurgeon talking about discipline one, two, and three here as he, he uses the illustration of poison in the well. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like to poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, it, it stays not there, but diffuses itself all over the body. And it doesn't cease until it is infected all. And such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, and from man to man, till the whole family. And it stays not there, but it runs like wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country, and a whole kingdom. And woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin won't be content to stay in your heart. It will seek to destroy you, and then your home, and then your ministry in the small group in this church. So what poison are you dabbling with? Think specifically about your life. What poison are you dabbling with? Are you like that city, but forgot, forgot just how bad it was to have sin in the wellspring? Maybe forgotten how sweet this newfound life is, and you're content to let a little poison in. Say, I can handle it. What poison are you dabbling with? And remember purity. Long for it. Don't stop at anything to guard that well. For the sake of your life, for the sake of your home, for the sake of this church, for God's glory, guard your heart with all vigilance because from it flows the springs of your life. The truth that your heart is the wellspring of your life, it leads very naturally to Solomon's command. Right? If you just say, hey, you, the heart is, your, is the wellspring, you can't help but coming to the conclusion that you must guard it. And that's, that's the command. That's the what of Proverbs 
guard your heart. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. So notice with me back in Proverbs 4.23 that as Solomon speaking to his son, he gives this instruction as a command. Guard is an imperative. It's not optional. It's not passive. It's something active. And the word used here for guard, watch, keep, it's the same as used, is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry, an alert guard in a watchtower. Imagine a, a tower on the Judean countryside overlooking the river, the, the, the source of water going into a city regarding any valuable resource. That city dependent on pure water would obviously place their best guards, their best sentries there, and make sure that they stay awake at all times to guard the spring, that well source for the city. And if a city was at war, how much more would they be guarding that well spring? And Christian, you are at war against sin within, Satan without. You have a precious, newly pure water source with ever-present threats seeking to poison the well. Every time you go out into this world, the billboards, your neighbors, the news you watch, the TV shows that try to get your attention, the apps on your phone, the emails in your inbox, everything around you. Is, is seeking, in a sense, to poison this well. We live as aliens and strangers in a world that isn't our home, in a world that is living with hearts that are committed, committed to live against God because this world doesn't love God because they have hearts that aren't yet changed. So as you live in and around this world, and as you live in this mixed condition, guard your hearts. How are we to guard our hearts? How can you keep the source of your life pure? David, in essence, asks this question in Psalm 119, verse 9. But before we go there, how, think, how would you answer that question? How, how do you guard your heart? As you've thought of this wellspring discipline, right? Shepherd your own heart. What comes to your mind first? I hope, I hope it's from Wellspring. I hope that you've learned that it's God's word is how you do it. But it's even more. What, what are we aiming at with God's word? Let's open up your Bible to Psalm 119, verse 9, and look how David answered that. And I pray that every time you say, I must shepherd my heart, I must guard my heart, that this would come to your mind that you couldn't think those words, that you couldn't say discipline one without Psalm 119 verse 9 immediately jumping to the forefront. You imagine Solomon got this, he got this teaching from his dad. And David, as he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Right, that's how can you guard your heart? Same, same question, basically. How did he answer it? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And what did that mean to him? 
He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. With my whole heart, I seek you, God. Let me not wander from your commandments. How did David guard his heart? He guarded it by seeking God through his word, not wandering from God's commandments, through obedience. But not obedience for obedience sake, but obedience as a means and as a fruit of seeking God. He didn't go to God's word merely, but he went to God's word to get God. Sometimes we go to God's word thinking I need to obey, and that's right. But don't play leapfrog over this crucial, this key, really underlying purpose of God's word. We go to God's word. We shepherd our hearts with God's word to get the God of the word. So as you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil. But that's not the main thing on your mind. That's not the, the end. That's not the main goal, right? You, don't, you do need to guard your heart from poison. Say, you don't say, I don't let, want to let any poison back in this well. But you do that because this well is filled new with, with God. Right? Think of the, the parable of the, the Jesus told of, of the demons, of, of the man who cleaned out his, he, he got the demons out of the, of the heart. And if you don't replace that with God, the demons are going to go get their friends and come back even stronger. Right? You, you don't say, I merely want to keep sin out of my life and replace it with nothing. God gave you a new heart of flesh, and he made his spirit to dwell there. We, we go to God's word to get the God of the word, not merely to keep sin out. Right? You do guard your heart from sin. You guard your heart not wandering from his commandments. And you will be careful who and what you allow close. You will be careful to fight temptation, to not think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You will guard your heart from exposure to things that will poison the wellspring of your life. But you see that more important and more fundamental to the guarding of your heart, it isn't just what you keep out but it's what you keep in. So seek God with all your heart. As we guard the wellspring, you, we must be shepherding our hearts to the, God, to the word of God to get the God, the God of the word. In guarding your heart, make sure that you're not shepherding it to pharisaical behavior-focused religion. Mm -hmm but to God in the gospel. It's so easy to fall into. I need to, I need to read God's word this morning. Good, I, I, I read it. I'm done. That box is checked onto my life, right? Or I need to obey. This is the sin that I'm struggling with. I need to stop doing it. Good, job done. And it's so easy to miss or, or to maybe fall short of what you're actually aiming at, which is with my whole heart, I seek you, God. Let me not wander from your commandments. Think of the image of purity. What is it? That's, that's something that's of one nature. right? If you mix something of another nature into it, it, it ceases to be pure. And if you're longing for pure water, a pure God-centered, God-characterized heart, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's increasingly being made into his image. <clears throat> 
you will keep sin out, but you're going to be aiming at keeping it. You're going to be aiming it at God. And God, I seek you. Do you get this? The means of pursuing and guarding daily the purity of heart and the means of our ultimate heart purification, they're not dissimilar. Right? A pursuit of God by setting the a pursuit of God by setting the gaze of our hearts and one day our eyes on him. That is the means of sanctification. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John 3, verse 2. This is like the New Testament um, version, I guess, or in, in New Testament illustration of that Psalm 119, verse 9. You might be hearing this and saying, this sounds so good, but I... I see in my in my heart that I, I, this isn't this doesn't characterize me perfectly. I I see I know that God changed me from the heart, but I I see my heart wandering after. I see myself wandering after sin. Let me encourage you with John, beloved. You are God's children now. You've been made when you're God's child. Yes, you've been adopted. And you've been given all the future promises of what you're going to inherit as His child. But you've also been changed into... God doesn't just adopt you and say, hey, I, I put legally, you're in my family now. But he does something more than just happens when we get adopted. He, he actually changes you into his character. Right? Our children are like us. But when we become adopted and made God's children, we become like him. And he says, beloved, you're God's children now. But what we will be... It hasn't yet appeared. You have been changed from the heart, but but you haven't been glorified. You're not perfect yet. We're still in that mixed condition. So how are we going to become, how are we going to change one day into that perfect, unmixed condition? Look down at your Bibles, 1 John 3, verse 2. We're God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears... We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. When you see God with those new eyes, when he comes back, when Jesus returns, or when, you're, when you, you get to see him face to face, you're changed into his image. And not just you, but everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Christian, God has changed you and he's made you his child. But this change of nature, although drastic, it isn't yet complete. And it will be completed when you see him as he is. And so that ultimate reality, you look at God and you're going to see him and you're changed. That's not dissimilar from the means of sanctification now. Set the eyes of your heart on God in his word. And you will be changed more and more and more into his image. Right? You ultimately see what will happen when you see him perfectly. But where do you see God now? Where do you see him most clearly now is, is in his word. And that's the means of God sanctifying you. Just like I talked about a few weeks in front of, in front of the church. It's, what's God's purpose in trials? Your sanctification. To ultimately form you into that complete, mature woman. 
right? Prepared for every good work, looking like him. So in trials, where do you put your eyes? Not on the trial, not on the circumstance. Set your eyes on God and his word. When you're tempted to anxiety, where do you set your eyes? On the Lord, remember? He's near. Lord's near. You in your trial. So don't be anxious, but pray. In good times, what do you do? Rejoice in the Lord. Pray to God. Thank him for, for what he's given you. In, in all circumstances, put the eyes of your heart on the Lord. And where will you see him most clearly? In his word. So what do you aim at when you open God's word every morning? It's not to check the box on your reading plan. Don't get up. Don't, don't get your bottom out of that chair until you've seen God in his word. So I, I have a practice that, that every day I, I write, I, I answer that simple question of what does this passage reveal about God? And how must this affect me? Don't think nebulously about that question. Write it out. If you have a hard, sometimes, especially in the morning, I have, my mind wants to wander. There's something about putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, thumbs to thumbs to screen or however it, however it needs to be to actually write this out and do it. And I found that it's helpful to text that to my wife. To say, Here, here's what I learned this morning about God. And we're not, not for the purpose of impressing her and saying, isn't that great that I, I figured this out about God. But, but this means to say, this was the most important part of my day to set my heart before God's word to get the God of the word. Here's what I learned about him, and here's how it must affect me. I, I send that to her every day, and there's actually some guys in my small group who we do the same thing. We're on the same reading plan. We text each other the answer to that question. But if that's helpful to you, please adopt it. Please steal that. If it's helpful for you just to, between you and God, do it. Uh, but I, I encourage you to actually take pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and write out the answer. What did what I read today reveal about God and how must it affect me? That helps you remember what you're aiming at in God's word, which is to actually seek God. Yeah, what does this passage reveal or what, what does this reveal about God and how must it affect me? How must we do this? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, with all diligence, with all vigilance. We have a new heart and a new love and affection for God. But the flesh within, Satan without, and temptations without as well are, are constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin. So set up a guard for your heart by above all else, not being content to even let an ounce of sin in, above all else not being content to seek anything less than God himself through his word and we do this all the time every day no higher priorities no days off what do you do think of your life but what do you do with more attention than you give to guarding your own heart 
the answer according to God's word should be nothing. That's what this means, is that there should be no higher priority in your life than guarding your heart. So Solomon, and I'm not talking about guarding your heart like you might put up a chain link fence, right, or that you install security cameras. Good, they're there. Right? I built these patterns into my life. Those are good things, right? You can think of, okay, I read my Bible in the morning. I pray before my meals. I, what do you, you know, you plan what you listen to in the car. You build patterns of life that help guard your life. Those are like chain link fences or security cameras, good walls. And that's good. That's necessary. But it's not sufficient. Right? You don't passively guard, but we actively guard. Um, what does the United States do for its most important assets? We have NORAD. Right? We place deep within Cheyenne Mountains. It's uh, surrounded by 2,000 feet of granite on every side, enclosed by thick doors, blast valves, its own multi-million gallon water supply, a multitude of sensors, and tons of people always on, always on guard looking for, is there any danger to our country? That NORAD could survive a, a near direct hit from a nuclear bomb. And that's the kind of guarding of God that God's word is exhorting us to, right? We put our most important assets with the best guards. And we're not content to just let those guard, the computers do it passively, but we always have people on guard there, right? In the Judean countryside, there would always be guards up in those towers looking for enemies. And that's the modern, so that's the way that you're to guard your heart. Do you see the guarding of your heart as just one task among many? It's not the way it should be. Solomon commands us that the way we must guard our hearts is with all vigilance, above all else. And when the Bible tells you to do something above all else, you ought to listen. So this isn't a suggestion. It isn't something that would be good to do in addition to all the other things that you do. No, it must be the most important task of your life. It must be done in all of life. Right? There should be no part of your life that you're not doing this. And it must be done with more energy than anything else that you do in life. Like the Secret Service vigilantly protects the President, like the United States protects NORAD, like a city protects its water supply, we must guard our hearts vigilantly, diligently, above all else. And as we think about the need to diligently guard our hearts, there's a sobering illustration of the danger here. I want us to consider the one who, who wrote the book of Proverbs. In this command, Solomon. Surely he knew this, maybe even better than us, he, he wrote it. He had David, his father, probably teach him this as a young child. He knew the fact that if life is to be pure and holy unto God, the source, the heart, had to be pure as well. I think you see that in, his, in the reflection of his, his prayer at the beginning of, his, of being king, where he prayed for wisdom. You can see in Proverbs that he knew what that meant. He wasn't just praying to be smart, but he was praying for a heart that would fear the Lord. 
but being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding. Being excited about heart guarding, being able to talk with the language of heart guarding. It's not sufficient, and it's not the same thing as actually doing it. Right? There's a danger of being in this church that talks about discipline one all the time, talks about shepherding your heart. You go to small group. How are you shepherding your heart? How are you guarding your heart? You can sound like one who does it. You can sound like one who's excited about it, but not actually do it. And being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding is not sufficient. Being excited or, or passionate or able to speak about guarding your heart doesn't mean you're doing it. Consider Solomon with me. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. Maybe outline the section in your Bible. Highlight it. Do something to call your attention to this. This needs to be a sober warning to you. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. I'd even encourage you to read on your own 1 Kings from chapter um, chap- from chapter 1 all the way up through 11 and watch the slow progression of compromise that led Solomon here. Especially if you, if you uh, hold it up against the command to Israel's kings that's given in Deuteronomy. You see him compromise on each one of these commands from taking a foreign wife to going to Egypt to get horses, to amassing all kinds of wealth. And you see where it ultimately got him. Psalm 1 Kings 11, verse 1 through 4. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from among the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Now Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And what happened? His wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. See how he ceased seeking God with his whole heart, because he loved the world and the things of this world. If you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you why it's so important to seek God with your whole heart. Not just speak about these things, not just set up practices that look like you're doing these things, but to actually do them above all else with all vigilance. No days off. David sought God with his whole heart. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away. His heart wasn't wholly devoted to the Lord. And consider the effects on D2 and D3, Solomon's heart and ho- or home and his ministry. Due to a series of compromises in the area of heart shepherding, his heart turned to false gods 
and his children didn't love God. Within a generation, the kingdom was ripped in two and inundated with idolatry. Finally, God's people, it was said, all the way from the king, Solomon's descendant down, did more evil than the nations they were sent in to dispossess the land from. Kings actually sacrificed their children to Molech. And then finally God's people were marched out of the promised land to exile in chains. Little compromises that I'm sure Solomon was certain he could handle. Poisoned the well and all that flowed from it. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23 better than you and I do. He wrote it. But guarding your heart is much more than just knowing the command. Guarding your heart is much more than being excited about guarding your heart and using heart-guarding lingo. We must actually do it. In yesterday's success at heart-guarding, it helps today's, but it doesn't guarantee it. It doesn't guarantee tomorrow. So above all else, more than you pursue food each day, more than you seek to care for your home or your children, more than you make sure you're successful at work, or more than anything else, above all else, guard your heart. Christian, you were saved by God's grace, and we will only guard our hearts by God's grace. So recognizing the importance of the tasks and that the stakes are high, you will diligently guard. As you diligently guard, depend on grace. Our new heart was created by God. It will only be sustained by God. Remember, God is not interested in religion, outward behavior modification merely. But he is about heart change through the cleansing that only comes through faith in Jesus and his death at the cross, that only is sustained by seeking him through his word as we flee sin and pursue obedience. So the question I have for you as we wrap up is, how well have you been guarding your heart? And how can you guard your heart more diligently? Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, Right? They're not saying, oh, I'm sure the water's fine. But the city's going to do periodic water tests. Say, how, how pure is this water? We too should evaluate what's flowing from our wellspring to see how pure the source is. Maybe you haven't been guarding your heart. Maybe you're seeing, uh, being convicted of, of sin, a tolerance for allowing sin near your, your water water source today resolve repent and, and resolve that to make guarding your heart your most important priority see Jim Mahaney wrote we study our hearts in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin and if you don't watch you will inevitably weaken. What does CJ mean in the shadow of the cross? This is so important. We must watch our heart 
But we must always be mindful of the cross, of what Jesus accomplished for us in the gospel as he gave his life for us. In the shadow of the cross, we find forgiveness when sin is revealed. Right? You don't look at sin and merely feel bad about it or feel convicted, but but you see that sin and remember that it is a sin forgiven. It's a sin that no longer has power over you because of what Jesus did at the cross. But forgiveness found at the cross, it doesn't mean that God is not concerned with your obedience. No, it means that he purchased and provided that obedience for you. God is more committed to your holiness and purity of your heart than you or I could ever be. He died to secure it. So in the shadow of the cross, as we pursue purity and repentance of sin, we see those sins in their proper perspective. Forgiven not your master, relating more to your old man than your new. And in the shadow of the cross, obedience is put in its proper perspective as well, right? You don't obey to secure God's favor. You obey really because you have God's favor. You obey because God has changed you from the heart. And you remember How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. What comes first? With my whole heart I seek you. Now let me not wander from your commandments. You don't want to wander because you're seeking God. right? You can't seek God and wander at the same time. When I was a new believer, um, you look at what comes comes next after Proverbs 4.23 is, I won't go there, we're running short on time, but an illustration was given me as a new believer of if you walk this path this path every day of your with your eyes straight in front of you, not turning to your right, right hand or the left, and you wear a path, a straight path back and forth with your eyes on Jesus, not turning to your right or to the left, not wandering from his commandments, but as a direct a pursuit of God, and you, you wear that path in your life, and it as you do that day after day, it becomes harder and harder to wander from the right or the left. And you also see you're not going to wander, right? You're not going to, you can't both wander aimlessly and pursue God at the same time. It's going to be one or the other. So you set, you say, where am I going today? Set, set God as the target of your life. You don't go aim. You don't wander aimlessly. So, so what do you do when you pull your smartphone out? Do you wander? Does your your thumb your, your thumb sort of shows what you're aiming at in the day? Mine does. What app do, do you launch? Right. If you have five minutes, what do you do with that time? Do you wander aimlessly after entertainment? What, what do your entertainment choices reveal? about how you're shepherding your heart? What does what you read reveal with how you're shepherding your heart? What does what you think about reveal about how you're shepherding your heart, about how you're guarding your heart? And that's what the water purity check questions that are that, that you have are all about. Um, they're questions to help you evaluate and guide your heart guarding. I want you to consider these now and then over the following weeks 
no doubt you can come up with better questions, but these should get you started um, to check the purity of your heart and help you, you aim at the right things. Do you usually sense a presence or absence of affection for God in your life? If you sense an absence, that, that may reveal what you've been aiming at. If, if you sense an, effect, an affection for God, that also reveals that you've probably been aiming at the right thing. Do you have an appetite for God's word? Are you shepherding your heart to God in his word? How do your daily routines, your entertainment choices, internet use, free time, reflect how you're prioritizing heart guarding above all else? How do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? What lures your heart away from God and how diligently do you flee this? I want you to come up with a couple other questions, two or three other questions that, that are helpful for you, that aim at, at maybe the what you've found to be most helpful to guard to guard yourself to God or most helpful to guard yourself away from sin. Uh, share these with, with your spouse, your roommates, your friends, who somebody who you're discipling or being discipled by. Um, and to the degree that you're doing a good job here, I don't want this merely to be conviction of sin. It should, it'll probably reveal some sin. Repent and, and pursue God better, but to the degree that you're doing a good job, remember to give God the glory. Why can you do anything good? Because God changed you from the heart. Right? So you say, oh, good, way good for me to pat yourself on the back. But you say, praise God and mean it. Praise God. I'm only doing this. I only have an affection for God because he changed me from the heart. I only have a desire to wake up and read his word because he changed me from the heart. I only have a desire to obey to love others more than I love myself because God changed me from the heart. And because God changed me from the heart, I'm not going to dabble with sin. I'm not going to tolerate any compromise. I'm going to guard my heart above all else with all vigilance. So don't play leapfrog over your heart here. Remember, it's not behavior modification, but it's heart guarding. And I am running out of time, so I'm not going to finish up. But you can, uh, I, I want you, uh, I'm okay? Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, so what we must not do when we see sin is play a leapfrog over your heart. Right? When you, when you see holiness, you give God thanks for changing you from the heart. And when you see sin... You don't play leapfrog over your heart, but you say guarding my heart to God, true obedience away from sin is actually what I need most here in the shadow of the cross. Jesus speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he describes their root problem. He said, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So as you look at these questions, as you look at your heart, don't merely look at what other people see. But look at what only you and God can see. And that's the kinds of things like your, your thoughts, your intentions. The things that actually reveal better than maybe maybe you've gotten good at, at looking good to outsiders. Don't say, oh, good for me. I, I must be fine. But look at what's most embarrassing to you, what you wouldn't want others to see. Say, God, how you want to change that too. I, I want to pursue you even more so that you can whittle that sin away. 
God, this trial that you brought into my life, that's meant to sanctify that. Count it all joy. God, thank you for being more committed to my holiness than me. I want to pursue you in this trial. Water flowing from a poison from, from a poison-filled well through nicely polished pipes into a fancy cup, it's still poisonous. So don't try to clean the pipes or polish the cup, but guard the wellspring. So as you think of what you've learned today, I want you to remember that heart guarding is not behavior modification. Paul David Tripp wrote in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he wrote, If my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It's not enough to alter my behavior or change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. And if the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of external pressure or incentive, like the pain of discipline. But when pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. Remember this in your own heart. Remember this when you're talking to people in your small group. Right, when you're sharing core questions, when you're listening to core questions, what are we aiming at as a church? Not looking good on the outside, but guarding our hearts. So if there's evidence that you haven't been guarding your wellspring, go back to the wellspring. Remember, no heart leapfrogging, no cleaning pipes while dirty water flows through, no whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. No, take aim at your heart, and with all vigilance, guarding your heart from sin to God. Do it because it's the wellspring of your lives. Don't be content with behavior modification in your pursuit of holiness. Aim with David at bringing your heart into contact with God through his word. Say with David, with all the women around you, say with, with our church, with my whole heart, I seek you. God's already done the most amazing and most important work in giving you a new heart. Now, women of, of Grace Bible Church, let's guard by the grace of God in the shadow of the cross for the glory of God. Of God, Let's guard those new hearts together. Let's pray. God, first off, just thank you. Thank you for changing us from the heart. God, this is not something that we did. In fact, it was before we could do anything. While we were helpless, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we've been saved through faith. This is not the result of works, but it's a free gift of God, not of works so that no man can boast. God, we are your workmanship. You've created us. For good works, which you prepared, oh, created, God, you, you created this new work in us. For good works that you prepared beforehand, that we might walk in them. And this was done in Christ Jesus. God, it's all from you, for you, through you. I pray that we would be more diligent to guard these new hearts because we are, have been reminded just how precious they've been they are because you've made them new in the gospel god i pray that we we would not be content with behavior modification as a church 
we wouldn't want to look good before others as if we impress them but God we would we'd want to humiliate ourselves want want to share the the worst of us because those sins have been forgiven and we'd say God forgive this one too change this whittle this away God I pray that where where we see obedience we would be quick to give you the glory and wouldn't have any ounce of self-justification or pride in ourselves God, I pray that you would bless the girls' time in small groups together, discussion groups together. Um, they would be fruitful and they would take aim at their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.